0: Well, this morning we have a, a promotion of our life groups, and hopefully you're planning to get in on one. There's a list of life groups there, and if, if one of those times doesn't work for you, just let me know, and we'll, we'll start a new one, and uh, somehow we'll figure out a time that uh, can work within your schedule so that you can do life together with God's people. Well, uh, when we start our life groups, uh, Lord willing, next uh, week, we're going to be starting a series in the book of Exodus and as we were planning that, we were wondering, well, should I start Exodus before we get in our life groups, or shall I do a couple of things before that? And um, kind of felt led to uh, do a few things in preparation for Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus. It's in a larger group of five, what's called the Pentateuch. Five scrolls is what that literally means. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But really, it's the beginning of God's story. And if you were with us last Lord's Day, we, we tried to look at our story and His story, and we tried to give an overview of the entire Scripture, uh, this Old Testament and New Testament that's compiled for us in these books that are various in size. But then I was thinking, well, what should I do on the week before the week? And I thought, well, I could, what I could do is I could give an overview of the book of Genesis that I haven't already gotten gotten to yet. We actually took some of the key points in the beginning of the Bible to give us an understanding of the entire Bible, and so kind of cut that in half. So I was thinking about, well, maybe I'll just take the second half and give you the, the run-in into the book of Exodus. But then in the midst of all of that, I decided, well, let me try something different, and we'll see how it works this morning. And what I thought about, rather than giving an overview of the entire Bible, I'd really kind of give, give the dilemma or the challenge of, of somehow understanding God and what He's doing. And if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we, we, we know the magnificent descriptions of God in the Bible as well as in our hymns. We sang a hymn today, How Great Thou Art. But if we're honest, sometimes it's not that great in our life, in our walk with God. And we're thinking, if, if this is really your plan, couldn't you change it sometimes? Uh, couldn't you make it a little bit different, at least how it's played out in my life? And, and when you think about it, we live in a world that's filled with a lot of challenge. Have you, have you recognized that? I mean, I guess they did admit that uh, they did shoot down that plane, um, the Iran military. And, and as you think of governments around the world, there's all kinds of things that national powers will do, us included, that you just shake your head at and say, God, couldn't you have stopped that? Or couldn't you have let the good guys win all the time, rather than the bad guys sometimes winning? And you just wonder how do we explain a, a all powerful God that supposedly loves and cares us, cares for us, and things going wrong either on a global scale, or what usually upsets me is on a on a personal scale. Right? I was reading an article a few weeks ago in which um, it was actually a psychoanalyst who works with young families and uh, people that are struggling with dealing with life, and she describes life today in the U.S. this way. In the United States, it's a competitive, scary, and stressful place. Not exactly happy news. Our world, even in our own nation, idealizes perfectionism. Um, You ever get just frustrated when things don't go right? (laughs) Materialism, it's always wanting more. Selfishness, and and virtual reality rather than human connection. You know, and I guess what she's saying there is people would rather be entertained than be with real people. Have you noticed in restaurants people have this little thing in their hand, you know, and they're, they're, they're talking to that thing in their hand rather than the people around the table? And he says, you know, as you think about that, that, that really begins to shape our worldview and our, our life experience. Then she goes on and says this. As a therapist, I'm, I'm often asked to explain why depression and anxiety are so common. Well, she's kind of a kind of a, a party pooper, isn't she? I mean, she's describing life in most darkest terms, and and then she says, particularly common among children and adolescents. But then she offers a solution. She says one of the one of the the most important explanations, or perhaps the most neglected, is the declining interest in faith, religion, and a belief that there is a god. And so then she goes on, and it's interesting that she makes these statements, which I thought were really um, intriguing. I'm often asked by parents, how do I talk to my child about death? And so you talk about living life in a despairing, depressing, discouraging you know, world experience. I guess the other D would be death, right? It doesn't get much more final than that. How do you, how do you try to talk to my ch- your ta- children about death if you don't believe in God or heaven? And it's, it is interesting every time I do a funeral memorial service that people out in the congregation, even if they've never really been to church much, they're hoping at this point there is a God and that person that they care about is in a place better than the place they're in as far as the grave. And so she recognized, well, we got this dilemma. We got all these things going on and people are running from God. And if you've, done, if you've read the statistics, that's happening in, in large numbers now particularly in America, as well as in some parts of the world. It's flourishing in certain places, but not always in the places where we would expect it. And this is her solution. How do you talk to a child about death if you don't believe in God or heaven? This is her answer, and actually it was the title of her article that was put in the Wall Street Journal. My answer is always the same. You know what her answer is? Lie. Lie. If you don't believe in God or heaven, don't tell anybody that. And particularly if it's your children or your young people that are around you. Because if you tell them there is no God, there is no heaven, you are pushing them toward despair and depression. She goes on and writes this. The the idea that we simply die and turn to dust may work for a few adults. Maybe a few can handle that picture of reality. But it doesn't help children. Belief in heaven helps them grapple. Again, she uses these why I mean, these broad descriptions of life. But belief in heaven helps them grapple with this tremendous and incomprehensible loss that we experience. In an age of broken families, distracted parents, school violence, and nightmarish global warming predictions, imagination plays a big part in children's ability to cope. Now, she threw this in the midst of God language using the word imagination. What was she really saying? Well, my interpretation of her words are this, and, and you can somewhat picture this in a very popular, in certain circles, um, in the contemporary music field, uh, a, a, a song about heaven. It says, I can only imagine. And of course, the person who wrote that particular song, I can only imagine how awesome it's going to be. I can't, I can't, even, I can't even picture how great heaven is because of the words that's described in Scripture, it's going to be better than I could even think about or dream about or even imagine. And she probably wasn't thinking about that particular song, but what she said, look, if you can give someone at least the glimmer of hope, there's something beyond this life other than just turning to dust and dirt, and this is all there is. In the midst of a world, not only in a large way, global way, but in a personal way that often goes more wrong than right, you can, they can somehow live life with hope. So from a person trying to help other people, what do you tell people if you don't believe in God? Lie to them <laughs> because there's hope in believing in God. Now, of course, I would never want you to believe in God because you think it's a lie and just good for you. I-, I want you to believe in God because it's true, and you can experience it in its deepest way. But as I was thinking about uh, our series that is to happen, uh, Lord willing, uh, beginning next Lord's uh, Day, as we, as we look at the second book in the, the um, beginning of the book, uh, the Bible, uh, I, I want to give you a spoiler alert. Now, some of you have seen the cartoon, and some of you have seen the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie. Some of you have read the book, which I think is a little bit better than the movies. But here's a spoiler alert. When God's people get to Egypt, it looks like it's going to be really, really good. It, it, it is going to be, not that there might be a few challenges, but it's going to be easy street because they, they have as their spokesman the second most powerful person in the kingdom. Joseph. Joseph has not only rescued them, he has saved the empire of Egypt. And and, and they are the delight of of the world that they're living in. And I'm sure as they thought that and were experiencing that, they were thinking, well, this makes sense. We believe not in a lie, but in a truth. There is a God who cares about us provides for us and protects us. Here's an example right here. He brought us in a place that had no food and to a place that did have food. And the reason we could go there because the person there, one of us, saved them by telling them how to prepare for a time of famine. But then all of a sudden, there's 400 years that go by. And you have that sobering phrase, And then there was a Pharaoh who knew not what? Joseph. And all of a sudden, their world, that they, I'm sure, equated with God's goodness for them because they believed in him and tried, at least, to follow him. Now, everything that looked right was now what? Wrong. And what I hope to do today, and I'm not sure how well I did in the first service. I hope I do a lot better with you, okay, in terms of, of sharing it. It, it. As I want to give you a picture of, of not only God, but his program. And it's a little bit unlike sometimes, I guess you would call it the Pollyannish view of our understanding of God's program. And when I say Pollyannish, you know, Pollyanna, Anna, I guess that, that, was, that wasn't a real person, right? That was a, that was a book, right? And, and that character was a person who always saw things as as being positive and bright, and, and everything going right. If it was if it was raining outside, it, 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 she she could only look at sun there out there. There was a sun out there, and it was always positive. Everything was always right. Well, if we think that is God's plan for us now, then we are going to be severely disappointed. And if you've heard this phrase uh, before, uh, put it in the right context of what I want to share today, God's plan for us is not to always make us happy here, but it is to make us holy. That what he is trying to do is, is call out a people that know him. And, and when we know him, it, it changes who we are on the inside and it shows out on the outside. That gives him glory because they see people going through the, the challenges of life and see God go through them. And want what they have. So what I want to do today is, and and I'm just going to run through this, and it may or may not make sense. But I I was wrestling with this. Well, how how do I explain, um, is this really your plan? When sometimes I don't like God's plan. I don't like his timing. From my perspective, I'm not God's judge, so I'm not trying to do that. But I'm saying there, there are times I don't like God's plan or the timing of God's plan or the details in God's plan. But God always has a purpose in his plan. And what he's calling out is a people that, might, that would know him and then make him known. And it's, it, it is a life that we are called to live. So, here it is lessons from the one who is Lord, making sense of it all. First of all, let's realize w- what part are we to play in this game plan called life? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, is, is a part of a section in God's Word. It's called the Shema. And the Shema is simply a word in the Hebrew means to hear or to listen. And remember back when you were raising your children or trying to re-raise your grandchildren to be more like the children you want them to be when they were children? Okay. Is that when you speak to your children or grandchildren, you want them to what? Want to listen. In fact, sometimes when they don't respond to your voice or your sage wisdom, you may maybe be like me and say, are you listening to me? Did you hear what I said to you, you know, when they're not responding? And, and, and this is what God is telling his people. He said, hear, O Israel. I'm going, to try, I'm going to try to quote the passage. Hebrews, I mean, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So what is he saying to us as we understand his plan? To understand his plan, we need to understand our God. And what do we need to understand about God is we need to listen to him. We need to hear him. We need need to hear who he is. Who is he? He's God. He's God and we're what? We're not. And there is only one God. And, And what does he want from us? It's not complicated. He wants us to love him, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our might. Sounds like that's what Jesus repeated in the New Testament, right? And then he says, okay, I want you to understand this. This is a a journey. So the next verse, he says this. I I want you to teach these commandments I'm giving to you. I want you to put them on your heart. And I think he was speaking in terms of how we would understand that. Look, this is not simply to be put in your brain so you can regurgitate it back on a test. I want this to change who you are. The Bible is not for our information, it's for our transformation. So take these commandments I'm giving you and put them on your heart. Now, in case, in case you're, as you're hearing this, I'm challenged by these words as well. I mean, this is, this is where God wants me to live. And, and then he goes on and says, okay, I want you to understand this is not just to be for you. It's to be for everyone you really care about. So what he says then, he says, okay, take these things I've commanded you and put them on your heart. And, and teach them diligently to your children. And I think when you broaden the word children there, you could be anybody in your relational world that you care about. Teach them diligently to your children. And when should you do this? Oh, by, by the way, and, and, when you, and when you sit down in your house and talk about them when you are on your way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, I don't know about you, but that just about covers everything in a day, right? It's when you're lying down, when you're sitting up, when you're walking, when you're going, when you're in the house, when you're outside the house. I, I want this to be a part of all who you are, all the time. Now, this is not just to be done on the Sabbath or on the Lord's Day. This is a this is a daily moment by moment experience. But then he goes on and he, he 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 challenges a little bit more. He goes, okay. Let me give you another word picture. I want you to write them as a sign on your hand and on the frontals of your forehead. Now, sadly, what God's people did then is what we do now. Sometimes we take the symbol and we miss the meaning by looking at the symbol. What they did is they would, they would wrap pieces of Scripture, boxes of Scripture on their hands, and they would wrap Scripture in boxes on their forehead. And, and, and they miss the point. The point is not to make an ornament of them. It's okay if, if you're going to look at your hand and open up the book and read it. But, but he's saying, what I want you to understand is that the Word of God is supposed to govern how you use your hands. That's why I want you to write them as a sign on your hands. And I want you to put them on your, on your foreheads because I want it not to be a, you know, a, a neon sign that you like the Old Testament... It's to say, I want them to govern how you think. Because how we think is how we'll eventually what? Live, right? We eventually, if you can change the way a person thinks, you can change the way a person lives. We can see that so many ways illustrated in our recent culture. It's radically changed because people now think differently about all kinds of things. It says, I want you to put them a sign on your hands. I want you to put them as frontals on your forehead. And then then I want you to to write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates of your city. So again, what he says, he says, I want you to understand that this this is to be lived out, my plan for you, in the home and outside the home. I want you to live this everywhere. So as we think about, is this God's plan? Is this really God's plan? What we need to understand is yeah, this is God's plan for all, for all the times that we are here. And, and we ought to take God's truth with us wherever we go. And, and we want to think God's thoughts and live out God's thoughts. And we want to use our hands for, for things that honor Him. And we, we want to live it in the home and outside the home. And, and we want to teach it to people around us so they can see that this is, this is how we should live because God's way is best. But when we take a step back, however, we need to realize that, that, that God's plan is awesome, but it's not always easy. And, and so when life happens, and life, have you noticed life happens? It is that when things go wrong, we don't yell and scream at God. We say, okay, God, what, what is it you want to teach me from this? How do you want me to respond to this? How, how, how do you want me now to live in light of whatever has happened, whether it's good or bad? Because sometimes what can mess us up is good things just as much as bad things, right? All you have to do for that is study the, the pattern of people who won the lottery. You know, For some, that was the absolute worst thing that ever happened to them. Their life became a mess. Of course, you're all thinking, well, I would like to try that sometime and see if it's a mess in my life, but... But but he's saying, look at it. it it's good. The good things that happen in your life can cause you to be distracted from your relationship with God, as well as the bad things. So so what is happening right now? What is happening? It's true as you if you read just the journey from Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and then Joshua and Judges and Ruth throughout the entire Old test, and then you get in the New Testament. The same thing is that life happens. And what, the only way to make sense out of life now is this, is this is God's training ground for his people. What does he want from us? Well, this is, this is where, um, whether it's helpful or not, is uh, I, I just began thinking about how can I express this that made sense to me? What, what is, what, what is it, how does God want me to live? And so I just backed up the truck a little bit and just kind of thought... You know, how did, how did God start it and how does he continue it since he began it all and we messed it up and then now he's allowing it to continue until he comes and, and sets up his kingdom not only in heaven but here on earth. Well, let's just begin at the beginning. We did that a little bit last week, but hopefully this is going to be geared a little bit more toward understanding God's plan. Well, it all begins with God. Well, why did God begin it all? Well, God began it all because he, he and, here's, and let me just read what I put together and then we'll try to digest it a little bit what is God's plan in terms of maybe understanding in terms of principles God created us to be like him to be loved by him to love him to live with him to learn from him to fully lean on him because we are lost without him in case you haven't got this this message given you Sesame Street by the letter L all right so this is this is the L's gone wild all right and, and then I put another way. Okay, that's in a paragraph. Well, how about if I put it in terms of bullet points? Well, another way to put it is, okay, what is all this, this about? It's, it's all about understanding that, that God loved us. That's, that's why he, he made us, because he loved us. He, he loved us because he, he wanted us to realize that, that he is a caring, loving God. And then in turn, he, he wanted us then to love him. Well, then why isn't, that happen- why isn't that happening naturally? And this is where the struggle I had in terms of communicating this in the first service. Is, is, is What I'm trying to communicate to you is what happened in the past. And this is the Genesis 1 through 3 section. But then what has happened now from Genesis 3 on? And, and in one sense, we repeat what happened to Adam and Eve in a slightly different way. But this is, this is the beginning, and this is the process, and this is the plan that continues. God began it all because he loved us. And then he had a purpose in making us. The Bible says in Genesis 1.26 that he created us in our image in his own likeness. So he created us to be like him. And when you think about God, it helps me to think about God this way in, some, in, in, in the dimensions that we can understand, is that it's all in family language, isn't it? Relational language. And when we think about God, we call, in the Lord's Prayer, God our what? Father. And, you know, I was reminded that I'm a father because my oldest son celebrated his 40th birthday yesterday. Now, now most people, when they find out that he celebrated his 40th birthday, says, Well, if he's 40, that makes you really old. <laughs> So, so as we think about that, and I think, well, you know, why do I have kids, you know? Well, because Alice and I wanted to start a family, and we wanted to have some children that we could really, what? Love. And not in a self-centered way, but we wanted to love them, and we were hoping that they would also, what? Love us. And doesn't that just seem so natural and understandable? And you think about it on a, on, a, on a spiritual realm, that's why we're here, because God wanted a family. He didn't need us, but he wanted a family. And so because he loved us, he brought us into existence, and he wants us desperately to know how much we love him. And when we understand how much he, we, he loves us, then we in turn love him in return. But beyond that, there was a purpose as he brought us into existence. And that's that phrase, we are created in his image and his likeness. He, he wanted us to be people that were, were responsible, that were, had character, had attributes that, that you, could, you could praise and admire and see as worthwhile. And isn't that what we hope for our children? You know, when my, uh, my kids... Um, came to be you know often people would ask me, Well what do you want them to be when they grow up? what do you want them to do when they grow up? what do you want what kind of occupation is your dream occupation for them i say you know i 'm more concerned about how they live than how they make a living isn 't that true for God for us he He wants us to to, to be people who live like we know who our parent is, our heavenly parent. Now, we as earthly parents, we pass on both good qualities and bad qualities, right? I think I told you a while back that um, my oldest son, the one who just turned 40, said that uh, Alice was the, the kindest person she knew that he knows. And so when, when, so when Tim acts with kindness toward people, he's acting like his what? His mom. When he doesn't act... With kindness, he acts like his what <laughs> <laughs> they shouted it out in the first service <laughs> they act like he acts like his dad all right and, and, and so you know, we obviously as parents know that that't we, we want them to be better than us we don't want them to pick up bad bad qualities, but as we think about God, he doesn't have any qualities, bad qualities pass on, and so his desire was us to be like him and, and really and one of the passages I have just listed in the back of the outline, and in First Peter, no, in First John chapter, I think it's First John chapter three, he says that when Jesus comes and we see Him, we'll be just like Him. And so, w- what is God's plan for us in the midst of a world that's gone wrong and t- things that we do wrong? He wants us simply to realize that we're here because He loved us, and He wants us to love Him in return. But he wants us to understand that we are created for the purpose of, of to live life in such a way that we bear the image of the one who made us and we live in his likeness. But then we need to, to recognize, well, how do we do that? Or how do we do that? It's because he, he's called us to live with him. And, and when we spend time with him, then we take on some of the attributes and characteristics that are his. But as we live with him, we need to recognize that, that we have had, had a desire to learn from him. And when we learn from him, we recognize that we can't do it on our own, so he wants us to lean on him because the reality, we are lost without him. Now, that's the paragraph. In bullet points, I put it this way. How did this all happen? God loved us. Secondly, we doubted his love for us. And when you look at the first sin, that's what happened. Why did Adam and Eve do the only thing, the only one thing they weren't supposed to do? Because at that moment, they doubted the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is related to God's love for us. And thought, maybe God's holding back. Isn't that what Satan said to them? You know, in the day in which you'll eat of the forbidden fruit, then you will know both good and evil. Now, they might have been willing to cut out the evil part, but you're saying there's something good that I don't know right now? And if I eat this fruit, if I rebel against God, then I'll know something I want to know that I don't know now? And they, tr- they distrusted the love of God at that moment. And really, when we go our own way, that's really what happens, isn't it? We're not really sure at that moment God's way is best. We think maybe we can improve it a little bit or whatever it might be. It doesn't apply to us. It might apply to other people. Right now, I can do my way rather than his way. In that moment, we doubt his love. And then when we doubt his love, what happens is, is we begin to talk to ourselves. Have, ta- have you ever talked to yourself? It's the most intelligent conversation I have all day when I do that. Now, you know, you, know how you, you have this conversation back in your heart and your mind. And you're kind of going back and forth. Is that at that moment, it, there's a decision sometimes in your life when you're saying, well, do I really want to live like God wants me to live at this moment? Do I really want to stop at that yellow light that's turning red real quick? You know, whatever it might be. Is, you know, do I really want to drive that speed limit right now or whatever you, you get challenged with? And we're afraid to live like God wants us to live because we're not really sure we want to live that way, right? And that's what happened to Adam and Eve, and that's what happens to us. And then in reality, if we were honest with ourselves, not only are we afraid to live like him or with him, but we at that moment don't even want to act like him, do we? We want to do whatever we want to do. And so what needs to happen then? Then we need to learn from him. And then we must lean on him and recognize again we are lost without him. Now, that, that's a that's a line of thinking that makes sense to me, to, to understand what was the journey after Adam and Eve? And I'm not going to rehearse chapters 1 through 20. And if you look at Genesis, and we're going to get into Exodus, some have summarized the book of Genesis in eight parts, and we're not going to discuss eight parts, but One is looking at events. There was creation, there was the fall, there was the flood, and then there was the Tower of Babel. And that's a whole series of messages. But you look at the rest of the chapters in Genesis, they're really keyed on four individuals. Their names are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And you understand that God has already weeded out people who were rebelling in demonstrative ways against him. And so as he calls out Abraham, and Abraham believed God and was counting to him as righteousness. And and I'm sure at that moment, God made some amazing promises to him. And he's thinking, now the good life. Now the plan of God is going to be experienced in my life and things are going to go right. All that wrong in the world might be out there, but in here it's going to be all right. But is that what happened to Abraham? No, God took him through all kinds of experiences where he had to learn from God and lean upon him and recognize that this was not just an option but a necessity because he was lost without him. I mean, just think about it. I mean, God promised him that he would be, his name met that. Abram means exalted father, even though he had no kids. And there are reasons some people don't have kids because of biological reasons and God's plan that we can't understand. But but God had promised you, you're gonna have you're going to have a child, and, and you, will, you will be fruitful, and multiply, and, 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 and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be a blessing to others. And he tells them this, and then nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. And, and I'm sure he was asking the question that I have in the title, is, is, is this really your plan? Did, did I mishear you? you? You told me, one, my name is Exalted Father, Abraham, changed to that, and that means father of many nations, and this is not happening. I'm getting older, my wife's getting older. This is impossible. But what happened, they didn't really learn from him and lean upon him. They decided, I, I'm going to help God out, right? And they went their own way. Now, why did God take Abraham and his wife through that? Because the only way they were really going to learn it was to go through it. And if they didn't learn it, they wouldn't become more like him. They wouldn't learn to trust him and lean upon him. So that happens to Abraham. Well, how about how about the answer to his prayer? How about Isaac? <laughs> well, Isaac didn't have it so easy either. And we don't have time to go to the story there. But Abraham had a problem at times telling the truth, particularly if he was in danger. He would call his lovely wife his sister, and so he wouldn't be killed for... Uh, the love of somebody else's life. And you know what Isaac did? Exact same thing. And, and you think, well, could, could God have prevented uh, Isaac from lying just like his father Abraham? Of course he could have. He could have just not brought that temptation into his world, right? But he allowed that to happen because Isaac needed to learn from God, right? And what did he need to learn? To lean upon him. And why did God want him to lean upon him? Because he wanted Isaac to be more like him. And as you go through the whole series of the four major characters in, in Genesis, you find that happens over and over and over again. Then you get Jacob. What a rascal Jacob was. I mean, it, actually his name means to, to usurp someone else's position. And that's what he did. He, Esau should have gotten the, the blessings of being the first child. know, it was God's sovereign plan, but, but he did it in devious ways, so God took him through the ringer to learn lessons he needed to learn so that he would come to that place where he would wrestle with God and not himself and begin to lean totally upon him. And then you have Joseph, the favored one. And everything seemed to be going right until his brothers got jealous. Could God have prevented that? Of course he could have. And again, I'm just trying to paint the picture as we think about life. And it's not only the bad, it's also the good. That in the midst of everything we go through, God wants us to learn to lean upon Him, so that we'll be like Him. And to be like Him is to to approach life through His His eyes and to prioritize the things that are important to Him and to to be other centered rather than you know selfish and self centered. And so, what happens to Joseph? He his brothers throw him in a pit and he gets sold into slavery and good things happen, the bad things happen. Good things happen, bad things happen. Good things happen, bad things happen. And at the end of his life, and it's one of the passages that we're not going to turn to, I put in your outline, but in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, uh, his brothers, after, his, after the dad dies, and they're wondering, now is Joseph going to get us? He said, you know, all the things you did to me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And now God has rescued us and preserved us and placed us exactly where he wants us to be. So as we look at God, you you could summarize a lot of things about God in this way, that he loves us because he wants us to be like him. And he loves us in order that we might love him in return. He, He recognizes that his plan is for us to live with him, not to be afraid of him, but to live with him. But for us to really live with him when things don't go like we would imagine them to go, he wants us to learn from him. And when we learn from him, there are going to be times where we simply still don't understand what he's doing. And then he says, well, just simply lean upon me. And recognize, again, this is a necessity because you're going to be lost without me. At the end of your outline, I, I, I put another way to probably put some kind of handles. How does God work with us? First of all, God works from us by, first of all, revealing how good he is to us. And how do we know how good he is to us? Because he makes us promises. Don't you delight in the promises of God? I mean, the promises, that you could go through every list, but you know, isn't that, pretty, isn't that a pretty awesome promise that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you? Isn't that a uh, Pretty awesome promise says, look, I want you to know that no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how bad it gets, I will never test you or give you a temptation that you're not able to handle, but I'll always give you a way to either to endure it or to escape it. Isn't that pretty awesome The guy says, look, in the midst of a world gone wrong, I'm going to give you that capacity to have joy in the midst of sorrow. That When you feel that you are beyond the ability to go through what you're going through, I will comfort you with a comfort that only I can give you. When when your life is torn apart, I will give you that peace that passes understanding. When you think that no one is listening, I will always hear you. That I will never turn a silent ear to to your requests. And and when you feel unloved, I want you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. When you feel condemned, I'm not the one condemning you. So as you think about who God is, God is one who promises which shows us how much he loves us. But then you think, well, Why is he allowing us to go through all this thing? Because God, who promises, also prepares us. And so all those things that are going to happen to the people of God in Egypt, he was trying to prepare them for that. And then preparing them for what's going to happen next. So they didn't know what was going to happen next. So God promises, God prepares. And what's the ultimate reason for that? Is that God perfects. And then we need to write, that's what really it's all about, that God has a plan that, that we who are not too much like him now are going to be so much more like him then. And we will be all that God wants us to be. You know, if we reflect on ourselves too much, we can get pretty frustrated with ourselves. You ever done much of that? You go, oh, man, can't I get my act together? Well, God's going to get our act together because we'll be more like him. <coughs> Excuse me. So what's the point this morning? The point this morning is, as we look at God's plan and we read about God's plan, as we experience God's plan, there are things in our life that are going to be filled us with just natural joy and enthusiasm and excitement because we can see the light in the midst of the darkness. And other times, you're, you're not going to see the light in the darkness. It's like they didn't feel when they all of a sudden they were in bondage and slavery after being at the height of glory when they first came into Egypt, and now they were slaves. And it was the light of Pharaoh to make their life miserable. But God was always there. And that's what it's all about when we think about God's way out. In the midst of whatever we're going through, whether it's the good times or the bad times, God has a plan. And ultimately the plan is for us to love him, lean upon him, learn from him, and recognize we're lost without him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we we thank you that in the midst of our questioning that you're always there. And Father, in the midst of not understanding, uh, we can still believe. And when we doubt your goodness, we can just reflect upon how much you love us. And Father, I would pray for anyone here that maybe needs to, to really look at the love of God, that they would just see how much through your son Jesus, who came for us, that your love is so evident. And might they put their trust in you. But Father, I pray for us that we might have a desire in 2020 to see clearly. To, to live in such a way that we can become more like you. So that people around us will look to you and find, find life in you. And we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we close this morning.